You're listening to Self-Publishing Journeys, the weekly podcast for all new and aspiring self-published authors. Stand by for tips, resources, hints, and practical techniques to help you on your own self-publishing journey. Meet indie authors at different stages of their writing careers and hear how they manage to get their own books published and making sales. For show notes, web links, and useful resources, please head to selfpublishingjourneys.com. Now, here's your show host, self-published author and digital marketer, Paul Teague. Hello and welcome to Self-Publishing Journeys, episode number 111 for Monday the 9th of April 2018. My guest today is Graham Smith, the best-selling author of the D.I. Harry Evans series and the Jake Boulder novels. Now, it's the second time I've spoken to Graham for this podcast. Graham publishes his Harry Evans series with Caffeine Knight and the Jake Boulder series with Bloodhound Books. He's had an amazing year in 2018 and he's pumping out books left, right and centre at the same time as managing a very busy wedding venue on the Scotland-England border. Graham is the founder and organiser of the annual crime and publishment event, which takes place near Gretna every March. I caught up with Graham on the eve of this year's event, sitting in the bar of the hotel. Just a warning, by the way, that you'll hear the F word in this interview. It's in the context of a quotation. And there were a couple of blips with the audio quality from my portable recorder. Apologies for that. I'll try and get to the bottom of it before I use it next time. However, they only pop up every now and then, and it really don't distract from the interview. So please don't let that put you off. Graham is always an excellent and entertaining listen. And when we sat down to chat, I started by asking him how things are going since he signed with Bloodhound. Yeah, hugely positive experience with Bloodhound books. They've taken my Jake Boulder series and they've really made it fly. Um, the f- back in September 17, just after I'd re- they'd, re- they'd released The Kindred Colours, um, they managed to secure a bookbub promotion on Watching the Bodies, which is the first in the series. And Watching the Bodies spent 10 days at number one in Canada uh, for the private eye category and two full weeks in the UK. And the sales uh, were phenomenal. Um, At one time when the BookBub promotion was on, it was the most downloaded book uh, in the English language worldwide, which was fantastic. What wasn't quite so fantastic was the fact that it was free at the time, <laughs> which meant that the royalties weren't quite so good. But it got my book into a lot of readers' hands. Um, the reviews have largely been extremely positive. Um, loving the ride um, with Bloodhound. Um, it's about five weeks since my last book with them came out, Past Echoes which is the third in the Jake Boulder series, and that's done very well as well. It's uh, received a lot of plaudits from those that have read it. They've, they've enjoyed the story, as as far as I can tell. And with regards to the series, Book Four's completed and is with beta readers at the moment. Um. Once I get the feedback from them, I'll go over it a couple more times and then it'll be in for submission. You, you have a heck of a uh, agenda. Uh, we're speaking here um, at a hotel, a wedding venue, and you're just about to do a wedding. And then over the next three days, you've got the crime and publishment event. And I read your word counts in the crime and publishment Facebook page. And 
sometimes you're pulling out 20,000 words a week and doing this job, which is incredibly <laughs> busy and hectic. How the heck are you doing this? Um, I don't have a great love of television. I don't watch um, massive amounts of TV. Um, when I get those particularly big word counts, it tends to be towards the end of a novel. Um, as well as all the other bits and pieces that I've got going on in my life, I've got very good staff at the mill. Um, and the, the weeks when I hit those kind of numbers, I generally can take a couple of days off work and have writing days. On those days, I can put down six, 7,000 words in a day. So two days at 6,000 words, that's 12,000, you know. Um, the third uh, part of a novel for me, 60,000 words onwards, that's a race to the finish line. I write that way quicker than I do the first third or the muddle in the middle, as some people call it, that horrible slog between thirty and 60,000 words. But once you get past, well, once I get past 60,000 words, I'm racing to the finish line. I'm no longer introducing new characters or new plot lines. I'm tying them all up. And as hopefully the pace of the novel uh, increases towards the finale, so does the pace of my writing. Because I want to know what happens. <laughs> Other than knowing that, say, it's a kidnapping, the kidnapped victims get rescued or... If we're talking about serial killers, the serial killer gets caught or killed by the police, um, the hero. Other than knowing what the resolution should be, I don't know how I'm going to get all the people in the right room at the right time yeah. <laughs> until it kind of happens. I've learned to trust my subconscious on this. and Solutions come to me through the writing. And when I look back and, oh, yes, that's the way, that's how to do it. I realise that my subconscious has seeded in the clues for me to follow. Um, and that's great. But there does come a point in every novel where I think, mm, is it going to work this time? I can't see it. Yeah. Am I going to have to scrap all these words and yeah. start again? It's really, it's really interesting you say that because I've just got stuck on uh, a thriller. And my philosophy now, I think you, you learn stuff the more you write. You've yeah. learned this a lot longer than I have. Um is just write the next words is my philosophy now, that if you're stuck, just ask yourself what happens next yeah. and start to write it. And then actually, as you said, it's obviously sometimes you think, oh, well, that's how somebody does this. Yeah. It just writes itself in many respects. It, it does. I find that, especially the last third of a book, it writes itself because you're tying off loose ends. You know, you've eliminated the guy... Um, that you arrested on page 112. You've eliminated <laughs> yes. him from your list of suspects. Yes. So you move on to the next one. So you, you're crossing things off or ticking them off your checklist mm. as you go. Um, I have a document that I always have open as well as the manuscript and it's called Chapter Info. And it's basically a list of what happens in each chapter along with timings for what's happening so I keep my timelines correct and whose point of view, and silly details, the kind of things that I forget, like how much money was robbed from the dog and duck. <laughs> you know, all know that kind of thing that takes you 20 minutes to scroll back and find for one stupid detail. 
So I know that well. <laughs> so I keep all that, but at the bottom of that document, I've got just the one line, things to include, and then a list of points that I know need to happen, whether it's investigating Paul Teague's murder or interviewing someone, or it's the twist, or something maybe in one of the characters' personal lives. All the ideas I have, I put there. But as I go down through the chapters and I get to the third, um, the last third of the novel, that list of things to include may only be one or two lines as I've removed them once they've been included. Yes. And that just keeps me going, right, oh, no, I need to do this and that and the other. And this is a podcast, but if you could actually see me, my hands are waving about <laughs> and describing because I talk with my hands. Now, the, the other thing is you're writing two characters. You've got uh, D.I. Harry Evans and you've yeah. got Jake Boulder as well. And I know that when you and I, I think we spoke on the phone or by email recently, I know you, you, you've got pressures to write both the books. But one of the things I, I've been writing quite fast over the last year, and, and in many respects, my, my head can't keep up with the stories in that um, I've just been proofreading a sci-fi and then writing a thriller. And, and sometimes uh, I'm out writing my ideas sometimes and I'm just interested if you ever get into that situation where you've got to write so fast and furious that your head can't keep up sometimes um not so much my head more my fingers <laughs> I've got um four ideas that could work for D.I. Harry Evans though three are kind of earmarked for another project um I have no idea what I'm going to do with Jake Boulder next, but I've got time to think on that. I do know that the next novel that I write about Jake Boulder, I want to be more cerebral than action because the one I've just completed has the working title of Die Cold <laughs> and it's set on in a ski lodge halfway up a mountain on New Year's Eve when terrorists attack. The the working title will kind of give you a clue where I got the inspiration for the story. <laughs> yes. um, but I do have ideas, that stuff that I want to do with him. But I know that his next uh, novel after Die Cold, I want to take him away from the action side and make him use his brain rather than his brawn. Yes. Just to freshen it up and to give him, as well as myself, new challenges. And, and let me ask you about that, because you're writing two characters. Uh, I, I've shied away from this at the moment, because I always worry about getting caught with a kind of, you know, an albatross, and yeah. a, that I, I want that freedom. And I'm, I'm interested in people who write characters, because I know that readers like this, and I know it makes absolute sense from a sales point of view. And I also know at the end of my trilogy, I've had people say, well, what, what happened to these characters next? Yeah. And I've resisted that. Do, do you feel constrained by writing two characters? Do, do you ever want to be let off the leash and do something completely different? No, um, I love writing about the characters. I also love the freedom that I've got because the, the two characters, although they both have a heck of a lot of traits in common, they are wildly different people. Jake Boulder's a young man who goes in fists first. You know, and Harry Evans, well, he's not afraid to put his hands up to someone. He is more of your old school Gene Hunt style detective, yes, shall we yes, say? Yes, yes, I know, yes. And the more I'm writing about uh, Harry Evans, 
the more I'm using the team and it's becoming almost an ensemble piece. Harry Evans is still the main man, even though I might be telling part of the story from the point of view of Amir Abaki or Lauren Phillips or one of the other team members. He still kind of steals it when he's in, even if it's at the end of a phone or a, a reference. What would Harry Evans think? Well, he'd do this you know, chin someone and then go off, you know, <laughs> you know, and then eat their lunch, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that's interesting because what you're saying is, is that it's not constraining at all, is that by bringing in uh, more characters, that, that that's where you're kind of getting your stimulus from, yeah. even though it's centred around uh, a character. I guess in many respects, that's almost like saying it's based in a particular location, but yeah. you could be bringing people into that all the time. Oh, absolutely, and, you know, even with... The Boulder novels, a lot of people have commented how the love is interactions with Alphonse, uh, with his mother, with Chief Watson and Dr. Edwards. Those are the four key supporting characters. And that's really great. That's wonderful. But I can't keep Jake Boulder in the fictional village, uh, sorry, town of Casperton simply because it's got a population of 20 to 30,000. I can't keep having serial killers in a town that size. It would become as dangerous to live there as it does in Midsummer. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, and the big scale serial killers and so on, you need a, a wider thing. So I'm basically got him on the road. Dykold is possibly 2,000 miles away from Casper, and I don't know the exact American geography well enough to give a specific distance. But it takes place in Vermont, which is the other side of the country, from Utah. So there's things there. Um, after putting him somewhere cold, my plan is to take him south, somewhere like Florida, maybe Georgia, Carolina, one of the southern states, and have him somewhere warm for the next novel to mix it up. Yes. Um, to put him on the road. But whereas you get other characters on the road, Obviously, Jack Reach is the big one in all terms, other than the films. You get that sense that Reacher is isolated through choice. He doesn't need anyone's help. Yes. Boulder does. He misses his family. He misses his friends. Um, so I've got to balance that, but there's nothing to stop me bringing one of them to where Boulder is or at the end of a phone or whatever and it still gives the connection it still brings back those favoured characters for the readers who like them and it grounds Boulder, it doesn't give him that isolation that Reacher has, although Reacher has that by choice Yes, you know, one of the taglines among the Reacher books is he's got nowhere to go and all the time in the world to get there, which is a wonderful line and it perfectly sums him up but Boulder's not like that. Boulder misses his friends and his, you know, his, his bits and pieces. But he doesn't want to be in Casper and because he fears that he would bring trouble to the door. Talk to me about language, um, because uh, again, uh, you're far more experienced at this than I am. And I, I got into some, some deep waters that I'd set something in New York and. Uh, and then my editor was saying, you know, you need to be saying mom, not mum, and things like this. And uh, and do do you go down the whole language experience 
Or do you just kind of write English? I write... UK English, I beg your pardon, I should qualify. Yeah. yeah. I write a mixture of UK and American English as seen through my character's eyes. My character is Scottish. He left Glasgow at the age of 15 mm. to move. So he still uses some British terms. He still uses... Um, American terms that he's grown up with. Because he got there at the age of 15, he calls his mobile phone a cell phone because he wouldn't have a mobile in this country Yes. at the age of 15. Yes. Which gives you a wee clue as to how old he is. Yes. But there's certain things like he um, will call a car bumper offender. He'll use hood, drunk. Because when he started driving, he was in America. He was in American culture. Yeah. But he will still throw in the odd term, such as Bobat, um, which is very much a Scottish term. Yes. He calls his mother, mother. He doesn't call her mom. Yes. But other characters calling their mother would call them mom. Yes. So I have to balance it. And any mistakes I make, I can get away with because I've got a Scottish character. Yeah, I mean, I even throw in some properly Scottish terms, such as how. You know, a lot of Scots will use how when they mean why. Yes, yep. So I can do that. But again, to counteract this, I will then say, and Boulder will say how, and then I'll explain it. Alphonse has been around me long enough to know that when I say how, I mean why. It's the old... It's a Glaswegian coming out in me. Yes. Explain this once at the start of the book, and you don't have to do it again. And that's a trick that I learned from reading the Lennox novels by Craig Russell, one of my favourite authors, and I'm lucky enough to call him a friend. But he put a Canadian in 1950s Glasgow, mm-hmm. and he had some subtle things. Um, like I was following this man, and he ducked into an alleyway, or a close, as they call it. Yes. 150 pages on, Lennox ducked into a close. But because Craig had already told the reader that a close meant an alley, yes, we got it. And it was just that little things. And I used that kind of same technique. Do it at the start. Explain it. Carry on. Do as you please. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, so I do do that. I'm sure that some purists would say that I butcher both languages by <laughs> doing that. Um, again, I spell UK spelling. I write colour with a U. It's interesting though, you see, because uh, I don't know uh, how you see your stats because you, um, I get to see my stats in my board, in my yeah. Amazon board. I know that 70 to 80% of my sales are in the US. And this astonished me when I started selling, but, but this is just the way it is. And then UK is my next biggest audience. Yeah. And I, I am honestly thinking of Americanizing everything I do because a beta reader the other day, I remember, um, said to me, I just don't understand these phrases. I haven't got a clue what you're talking about with these phrases. And I looked at them. I thought, no, there's no reason why you would do it if you're living in the States. And so I am thinking of going yeah. completely American with my stuff. Uh, I already eyes the spellings. I, I eyes in thr- in sci-fi, but I don't in thrillers yeah. yet. It's a, they're they're in quite. I said they're quite English. They're not Miss Marple kind oh. of thrillers, but they are they're English thrillers. Right. So where, where where are you where are you with that? Because we, you know, like you with my book bub, 
I was in a Japanese chart, yeah. a Brazilian chart, <laughs> Indian I, chart. Uh, we're global now, aren't we? We're I, global authors, whether it, we like it or not. No, it, it is. It's a fact. It's a wonderful thing. I mean, Amazon's opened up so many avenues that way. Um, it's fantastic opportunities for everyone. But at the same time, that there has to be balance with that. A lot of the pricing models um, with self-pubbed authors, people giving away books or selling an entire novel for 99 pence, the way that the royalties work on that, Amazon makes more money per sale than the author. Um, and you have to wonder if books are being devalued as a source of entertainment. People won't take a chance on a two ninety nine, or a book priced at £2 or $2.99 but I'll happily order a, a coffee that's three fifty. But then, when you get your next book book with Jake Boulder now, yeah. now you've got the three books, the fourth coming, yeah. you wait to see what it does for your sales, yeah. giving the first one away for free next time. Oh, yeah. That drove my... That technique of having series drove my biggest month ever on BookBub, and it's, it's phenomenal, the read-through you then get um, in a series. Oh, yeah, I, I certainly believe that, and... When it comes to marketing terms, I'm not a novice. I understand that if you give the first one away and you've got the necessary links in the back to go to yes. the rest of Sausage the Sausage on a stick, I call it. Yeah, yeah I, a carrot trail, what, yeah. whatever. And, yeah, I, I don't disagree with that. But the further books in the series should have the pricing that reflects the amount of work that's yeah. gone into it. Yeah. It's all very easy to say, oh, yes, you sell thousands of copies. But if you're only getting a couple of pence per <laughs> sale, yeah. then you need to sell thousands of copies before you're even making a minimum wage for the hours that you spent working on the book. And that's before you take into account the fact that my publish publisher gets a cut. Mm. They, they spend money advertising it. They spend money on editors, on graphic designers for the cover. You know, the whole... Um, house of cards has to be built on solid ground mm. and yeah I'm focusing a lot at the moment because I'm beating myself up because I, I don't feel like my writing is good enough at the moment so I'm looking a lot at craft at the moment and I've been uh, analysing thrillers and I'm reading uh, um, you know um, the sort of thing that we've gone Richard and Judy and I'm reading a lot of Bloodhound books as well yeah. You're, you're, you're in the list there as well. Cool. Because I want to see how people who are published with Bloodhound are doing it, what they're doing. And I've just come to a couple of early conclusions. You know, number one is that I think I'm possibly making my, uh, my ends um, too complicated, that they don't need to be complicated. Um, I'm looking at um, people who are using more description than I use. I tend to be light on description. And um, I'll, I'll, I'll hold my hands up to that. I can be at times... Um, there's a great... Saw so, the rule of three, you know, like tall, dark, and handsome. Mm. Um, I seen it at a panel somewhere. Someone was saying, "Yeah, go with the rule of three. But if someone's handsome or if they're ugly, mm. leave it at that. Don't start putting your definition of handsome or ugly <laughs> onto people yes. because you're going to offend someone. <laughs> yes. You know, if if you say a beautiful woman walked in and you describe yeah. it and yeah. she doesn't look like your yeah. wife, you're in trouble. <laughs> yes. yeah. You know, you can say Harry Evans saw the woman coming in and thought, my, she's beautiful. Have your character think that, but don't describe why you think she's beautiful. 
because then that's almost an intrusion. So you've got lots of little bits like that. I prefer brief descriptions uh, in terms of setting the scene. And the best description I've ever known of a character was by Stuart McBride. Now, I apologise in advance for the language, but he described a man as a baldy wee fuck of a man. (laughs) And from that one line, those six words... Yes. You got a full character. Yeah. You knew he was short, you knew he was bald, yeah. and you knew he wasn't nice. Yes. Yeah. You know, brevity. Yes. And that has stuck with me. Might not craft a sentence as good as that no. for every character or situation I describe. But that to me is the the pinnacle to aim for. Because I, I feel that if, if we go into sort of long rich descriptions of location and people. Yeah. I think I'm reading literary fiction here, and I'm not a big reader of literary fiction. I just think, well, get on with it. This is why I read through right. Get on with it. I want action. I, don't, I want it to be active all the time. I don't want a lot of sitting yeah. around. Um, that's my policy with it. Yeah. I, I know exactly what you mean. Um, in my late teens, early 20s, I was reading a lot of the kind of 60s, 70s men's fiction that was out and about and you know, like your Hammond Innes and your Alistair MacLean and Desmond Bagley. Hammond Innes was wonderful at using the setting as a character, as a complete and utter obstacle to the lead character. But his books went on a bit for me. Yes. You know, they, they weren't as thrill a minute as Desmond Bagley or Alistair MacLean. Again, Alistair MacLean, you think of things like Ice Station Zebra, mm. South by Java Head. Um, HMS Ulysses um, Golden Gate they were in very defined locations that limited the range of what people could do and that that's great and I'm all for that I suppose it depends on your audience if you know who your audience are mm. which goes back to anything that you say about marketing know who your audience is Um I find at times I feel that I don't put enough description in mm. and it's nice to give a bit of local flavour. It shows bits of research as long as you don't do four pages of it. Yes. You know, yes, talk yeah. about the, the way that the, the sun's glinting across the mountaintop or whatever. And, yeah, we've all seen sun. That's, that, that's, I, that's what I feel about it. And, uh, so get on with it. You know, Tell me it's a nice sunny day. That we're uh, you know we're squinted because the sun's shining in our eyes at the moment, and but the, do we need do we need much more? It's reflecting off the glass, maybe. Mm. Well, wasn't it? Anton Chekhov said, "Don't tell me that the moon is shining. Show me it glinting through a piece of broken glass." Yes, 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 yes. You know, yes. which is a good way of saying, "Yeah, okay, it's shining, but make something of it. Make you know, give it a wee bit more than the sun is shining." Yes. Was it what you said about the gun on the wall? Don't put a gun on the wall unless you're going to use it. Is that Chekhov? I think that was I think that was Chandler. <laughs> Never have a gun in a room unless it's going to go off. Yes, we're, we're probably misquoting wildly here, aren't we? Oh, but uh, but the, the principle's the important thing. Yeah, but yeah. yeah. And another one of um, Chandler's quotes was, "People stuck have a man with a gun in a room." Yeah. <laughs> and to me, that it doesn't have to be as simplistic mm. as having a man with a gun mm. into the room. It can just be a case of meet someone else. Or something else come in that changes it. A disruptor. Something a, a, disrupts. A, a, a yeah. disruptor. Whether it's mm. 
a ransom note, yeah. severed finger. Yes. You know, yeah. a telephone call with an update, you mm. know, move the story forward, basically. Yes, yes. yeah. I, I, and I've just done this this very week. Yeah. Uh, you know, I needed another strong scene and, and did exactly that. Just throw it all up again. Yeah, and, I was I was writing yesterday and I actually got deeper into description than I normally go. So, you know, it's one of those things. My editor may well just attack it with a red pen. You yeah. know, you, you don't know. You don't know until you. I'm pleased you mentioned the red pen because I, uh, you know, clearly you're having a lot of success at the moment. You've also got two, you know, publishers. So, you know, what, what a lot of self-publishers probably struggle with is that when you self-publish, you could be self-publishing absolute tripe or, or absolute genius. Yeah. And that, because it doesn't go through that many hands, you don't really know until the readers get yeah. their, their hands on it. And I'm just wondering is that if your editor puts red pen through stuff, what do you get nagged about all the time? What, what, what do you get nagged about that you're doing wrong? What? Oh, grammar. Um, believe it or not, I've got seven books published now. I've got my English exams twice. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I get full stops where there should be commas. Um, the odd bit of misspelling... Um, that's in which I have a. I don't like the word that. I often feel that it's redundant. My editor disagrees, and she will put them in, and I'll take them back out, <laughs> or some of them back out. I can see why she does it, and I, I don't disagree with her wholeheartedly. But neither do I agree with her wholeheartedly. <laughs> it, it's one of those things. But I'm very fortunate in that I've got an editor who I trust implicitly. To tell me, Graham, this is rubbish. This needs to be. This isn't practical. I've got a good set of beta readers. They tell me that as well. But when it goes to the editor, that's when I start to worry. And I keep thinking, well, this one's in good shape. It's not going to come back with much. And it always does. I'm just kidding, deluding myself. Um, it's now. I'm now getting to the point where I, I'll send it off and see what she comes back with. See how she's going to make it better. Yes. And that's. What it's all about for me, as much as I may grumble and mutter under my breath about what she says, I know that she's right. Yes. Yeah. Ian Rankin has the same editor. He's oh, he's kept it, even though she went to work different publishers. Put it in his contract. He keeps his editor, and he says, whenever I get something back from her, I go through it and I moan and I rant and I complain and I'm, you know. And then I stop and have a couple of days, think about it, and I realise she's right, and that's why I stick with that editor. Yeah. And, and, and isn't that the same about negative feedback? I mean, we do put our necks on mind when you write a book. Of it is, and um, I think, I, I'm sure it was you who said you'd got your first one star, wasn't that? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And uh, so we all have to get it. It's like a badge of honour. It is. How, how, how did you respond to that? I've just moved on from it. Mm. Um a number of years ago, I used to do a lot of interviews for CrimeSquad.com as well as reviewing books for them. And I've done some face-to-face interviews with a lot of various authors, big-name authors. As I was going to this, this week where I got the interview with Harlan Cole, we were just talking about reviews in general. And, and he was saying, yeah, you're not a writer until you get a one-star review, which I think is perfectly right just because I think my book is brilliant and each new one is the best thing I've ever written I also think that 
some people aren't going to like that. You know, I like brown sauce and chips. Not everybody in the world likes brown sauce. That's fine. The world's made up of various um, different and interesting people. Um, live and let live. Yeah, okay, you didn't like it. That's fine. Now, if 80% of the reviews were coming in and um, people didn't like it, then obviously the fault is with me and my tastes and I need to mm. change what I'm doing and react to it. No problem getting constructive criticism. Where I do um, have an issue is when people just write attacks. Mm -hmm. This book is rubbish, it's the worst thing ever, you know. But they're it, the ones stars often are, though, aren't they? That's the problem with them. They, they can be vitriol-filled mm. and various um, Facebook posts are filled with examples of authors biting back. One thing, never, ever, yeah, yeah. don't get into it. Rise above it. The minute you start engaging with people who are slamming your book is the minute you're going to, you're preparing yourself to be dragged down to their level mm. and they'll then beat you with experience. Yeah, 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 yeah. You've got, uh, yeah, it's it's painful when it happens, but you've got to take it on the yeah. chin, I think, haven't you? Uh, and, and as you say, you must never, never respond to it because that's never going to end no. well for anybody. No, absolutely not. It, it, it's not. And, you know, some of the trolls out there just do one star almost to get engagement. Mm. And I've seen great long threads where authors have got into it and, oh, jeez, it's car crash. Mm. Yeah. It yeah. really is. Every word is just a car crash waiting to happen. We're, um, it's the eve of Clown Publishment, and uh, so you've got three days of, of crime and thriller writers and aspiring writers coming, and you've got experts doing lots of talks, which I'm really looking yeah. forward to, just to immerse ourselves in this world for the weekend. Um, just give us an idea of what crime and publishment is about, because I, I went last year, I've been telling everybody, you know, I, when I go to things I enjoy, I tell people about them on the podcast, yeah. which is why I'm here all weekend this weekend. So it, 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 it's, it's in the north, which I love, it's yeah. just up the road from me. Um, for people who don't know about it, where, where can they sort of find out more about it if they are writing crime and thrillers for, for next year? Um, well, we've got our website, Crime and Publishment. I'm the first to admit it's a very basic site. It's not one of these modern flashy ones with moving images. It's big blocks of text, but the text tells you what you need to know. Mm. Website is crimeandpublishment.co.uk. Um, the next weekend is... Well, the one coming starting tomorrow, but next year's is the second weekend in March, mm -hmm. held at the Mill Forge Hotel, um, two miles from Gretna Green. We're starting to put together a really exciting lineup for next year. Thrilled with those that I've got signed up so far, and keep an eye on the website. Um, <laughs> That, that's the way to do it, you know, that that's where we are, the website's where information is. Once I've got the line-up sorted, I'll push it out through Facebook and Twitter, through my usual channels, but just keep your eyes open. Um, crime and Publishment is something I put together um, when I started my writing career. I was looking at, at attending writing courses at various places around the UK, and every one of them was quite expensive in my eyes mm -hmm. and 
very few of them actually taught you the nuts and bolts of publishing and, and writing, you know, really got into the the guts of it, shall we say. Mm. And that's what I wanted. Because of my Crime Squad uh, connections that I mentioned earlier, yes, I then took it on from there to use those contacts to build a programme that was appealing. Mm. I put it on, I put took a risk, I got enough people to make it worthwhile, you know, for the hotel, because I'm effectively cancelling all weddings for that weekend, <laughs> or rather cancelling the opportunity for weddings, yes. I should say, I'll never cancel a wedding. But because mm. I'm closing the hotel off for certain yeah. things, I needed to manage the whole thing, and I learned from it, and it, it's gone on, it's got better and better, and... This year we've got record numbers to the point where if anyone else had approached me to attend, I would have had to say, no, I'm sorry, we're full. Yeah, it's really, it's really good. I'm really looking forward to this. We've got knowing your characters, getting to the heart of the story. Um, we've got uh, genre expectations, which is just brilliant, you know, and practical stuff like networking. And I know you have surgeries also. Um, there's so much just really uh, useful stuff in there. And the other thing I really like about what you do is when you go to a lot of conferences, you miss sessions that you want to attend, and you put people into Group A and Group B, yeah. so you don't miss anything. I no. love that. I really like that. No, well, I do. I'm a big believer in avoiding cliques, mm. um, and each of the groups is made up 50% of new faces, 50% of regular attendees. I won't say old faces. <laughs> this man knows how to survive. Yes. <laughs> I, I might have said it on uh, Monday. <laughs> I'm going to be uh, I forget, but no, I'm not going to say it on the Thursday before. <laughs> uh, but no, I do, and I, I try and mix it up that way. Again, if I know that particular people are good friends, I split them up. I've got a husband and wife coming. They've been split up. Mm. One's mm. in Group A, one's in Group B, simply because they know each other and we don't want that cliques. I've been fully invited into the crime fiction community by going along to events, getting to know people. That's what I want for the attendees here. It's a mix of different experience. And I want to enhance that and I want to foster as much as I can that way. With the networking sessions, it sounds terribly business-like and so on. But as a writer, if you want to get in front of a publisher or whatever, sometimes you, you need to know how to network. And as professional as the term networking is when you boil it down to networking is just introducing yourself to a stranger mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's talking to strangers it's not dragging yourself into a horrible horrible situation the worst thing that's going to happen is someone rude's going to say look bug it off i'm talking yes yes absolutely. you know that's the worst of it mm. you know and I've been pushing myself out there at various events, going up talking to strangers, um, introducing myself, making connections. I've not been told to bug it off, mm. you know? So it's, it's one of those things. Again, with networking, sometimes you've got to kiss a couple of frogs before you find a prince or princess. <laughs> you know, it's you a great way of puzzling it. Yeah, yeah well, no, but, it, but it is. Sometimes you meet yeah. someone... And it's not actually the right contact for you. Mm. 
but they might know who is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, not every attempt at networking is going to be successful, but you have to recognise that as part of the process. You know, it, it's, it's like a book submission. You don't send off one and, and expect that's it. You know, six months time you'll be living in a palatial man, mm-hmm. mansion with... Uh, seven-figure publishing company. I knew I was going wrong somewhere, Graham. <laughs> no, but it is. It's all about expectations. Mm. If you know what you want to get out of the network and you know what you need to put in. And one of the best ways I've found in networking is to not network myself, to network other people. For instance, I'm talking with Paul Teague here. This weekend, if I know that he wants to speak to someone, I'll make the introduction. Yes, yes. Mm. And then Paul thinks favour of me, mm. favourably of me. And the person he's introduced to, if they hit, have the right rapport, they'll think favour of him. Favour, uh, mm. they'll think positively of me. <laughs> and that's two connections that I may get back in the future. Mm. Networking is often about paying it forward. And I was, I was about to try and, a big word there, which is reciprocity. Uh, oh, there yeah, we go. We got, uh, we got it. There we go. I thought, it. shall I venture that? But yes, reciprocity is what it's about, isn't it? Yeah, I guess, yeah. it is. I it's not all about me, me, me. It's about the collective. Mm-hmm. And unless you're fantastically unlucky, it will be about you one day. Yeah. Um, I'm mindful that you've got a wedding party to fit in before you actually deliver three days of crime and publishment. So I'll make this my last question now, which is always, uh, you know, looking ahead. What, what's coming up? And when I talk to you, you know, next time, uh, after six to nine months, what are you going to be telling me, do you think? Uh, that you could reveal. I know you can't reveal all of it. No. Um, first off, I've got an XDI Harry Evans novella out on the 22nd of March. The next novel, uh, When the Waters Recedes, featuring D.I. Harry Evans, is May the 31st. Die Cold is... There's a place held for it in November, so we'll wait and see what happens. Yeah, the publisher may hate it. You know, it can happen just because you've been published before. Mm. doesn't mean to say the book's going to be accepted. So there's that. And I'm currently on writing. I've got a Harry Evans novella completed. Um, that's earmarked for 2019. And just keep writing away. Finish the, the project I'm on now and see the lie of the land mm. and, and, and then go with that. Well, congratulations on what you're doing with Bloodhound. I'm very interested in Bloodhound, following what you're doing very, very closely. Uh, Thank you for everything you do for Crime and Publishment. It's a great event. Highly recommended to anybody who's writing crime and thrillers. And next time I come back, you know, I look forward to hearing about the film deals. (laughs) (laughs) All of this. That would be nice. That would be nice. Well, here's hope. (laughs) Thank you very much for interviewing us, Paul. It's been great to talk to you, as always. Thank you for listening to this week's Self-Publishing Journeys. If you enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with your indie author friends. Or you can leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or whichever podcast directory you use. In the meantime, you'll find previous interviews and all the show notes at selfpublishingjourneys.com. Thanks again for listening. We'll have more great self-publishing tips for you next week.